Well, good morning, friends. That's the first time I've ever heard that verse, 127 in Psalms. I... <laughs> oh, it's good to be with you. It's great to be with you. And um, uh, as, as Pastor Dan said, we do have a connection here. It's been a long time. Actually, 29 years ago when Pam and I got married, Des and Mary and uh, Stephen and Anthony came up to our wedding in Vancouver, British Columbia, and participated in our wedding then, and so uh, that was a long time ago. And then um, uh, my wife was on staff here at the, at the Christian school. She worked with Vicki Vaughn and Janet Betzel and all of those ladies at the school, and, and uh, that was fun. Uh, uh, your former youth pastor, Steve Thompson, and I, we, uh, we collaborated together and co-directed a large summer camp for students. And so there's just a, a lot of connections here. A few years ago, our worship ministries uh, performed a, uh, a musical that was arranged by Pastor Dan. And, uh, and they were all wondering, who is this guy? He's amazing. And so uh, aren't you grateful for your pastor? Don't you got a wonderful pastor? Wow. Well, I've uh, come from Virginia today to give you some good news. Are you ready for some good news? I mean, we hear the bad news on the radio and the TV, but we got some good news. This, this book here has got good news. It's all good news. Good news. And so turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 5, the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. And we're going to look at a, a passage together. Luke chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1, Luke tells us on the day, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. Verse 2. He noticed, did you just say he noticed? He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Verse 3, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. And so Jesus sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, I just pray that the preaching of your word has power today to move us to specific action. And we just pray, Lord, that you help that Des Bryant complete that contract because we need him. Amen. All right. I might live in Virginia, but I'm still a cowboy fan. Oh, my goodness. I say that at my home church and they boo. I feel at home. 
Well, as, uh, as you may have guessed, I grew up around here, and um, back when I was just a little kid, I was probably about seven years old, my grandparents bought a lake house down in uh, Lake Granberry, and, and, uh, and so one of my uncles taught me how to fish. And we'd go down to the, to the water bank there at the lake, and, and uh, he taught me what a rod was and what a reel was, and, and uh, taught me how to, how to bait a live worm on the hook and, and how to cast. And, 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 and once that brim hit, that, hit that, uh, that hook and started going, you know, the thrill, the exhilarating thrill of a seven-year-old as you're, as you're pulling that pole in and, and keeping the, the, the line taut and, and reeling and pulling and reeling. It was, it was amazing. And, and, and so that's, that was my picture of fishing for brim. And so years later, years, years later, uh, I'm married now. i got a couple of kids, and I go up to my wife's home where she grew up. And she grew up in Newfoundland, okay? Newfoundland is at the end of the world, and you turn right. Okay, so you got a bunch of islands in the Atlantic Ocean. you got Ireland, you got England, you got Greenland, you got Iceland, you got Newfoundland. Okay, it's one of those. And so I went way up there, and, uh, and her family... I thought they were sincere. They said, we want to we show you how Newfies fish. And I said, well, this can't be that bad. I mean, I know what fishing for brim is at Lake Granberry. I, I can do this. Well, the first thing that they told me is we had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I didn't even know God got up that early. I should have known that these sinister relatives of mine were up to something. We got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm there, and we're getting into the car, and I'm going, okay, guys, where's the tackle? They said, we don't need tackle. I should have known something was up when they said we don't need tackle at 3 o'clock in the morning. And so we're driving out there, and they said, you've been fishing on Texas lakes. You, it ain't nothing. You wait till you see the Atlantic Ocean. We fish in the ocean. I'd never seen that before, but anyway, uh, we get in this 40-foot rig, and, and, and there's eight of us, and they tell us that the fishing limit for the whole boat's 15 fish. 15, I'm doing the math here, I'm going, okay, and how long is this trip? Eight hours for 15 fish, that's less than two per fisherman for eight hours. And I'm going, oh my goodness, I should have known, I should have known. And so they're talking about cod jigging, okay? There's a big difference between brim fishing and cod jigging. I didn't know. Now I know. I want you to know. And so cod jigging is when you, is when you have this line. It's about six different uh, hooks on it. And they don't use worm. They use squid. Have you ever tried to hook a squid? I should have known. And so, codging, you don't have a pole. What you do is you throw the line over the gunnel of the boat, and this is what you do. That's codging for eight hours. For less than two cod per person. Codging. This is codging with squid on the hook. And so, we're going out there. We're headed to kingdom come who knows where. 
And I look around and you can no longer see land. I should have known something was up. And so I don't think it's God's will to get up at three. I don't think it's God's will to fish with squid. I don't think it's God's will to leave that far away from land where you can't see land anymore. I mean, I was used to wading out in the Lake Granberry, feet on terra firma. That's God's will. I want to tell you something. We hadn't even got to our destination. The sun had not even come up on the horizon. And I started feeling nauseated. I started getting dizzy. And I started getting delirious. I couldn't remember my name. I didn't know where I was. And all I could remember was bowing over the gunnels and christening the ocean with my insides. And I brought up last night's dinner, then I brought up yesterday's breakfast. I was bringing stuff up since last Christmas. And I kept bringing up, and I was looking for my vital organs at one point. And oh, God, this can't get worse. And I remember eight hours of this just laying on the, on the deck of the boat. I couldn't cod jig. I didn't care about cod. All I could do is just lay there and moan and groan and cry and call out to God. I was confessing everything that I could ever remember. At one point, I was probably making up stuff just to get God get me off this boat. Well, they met their 15 quota, and, and, and they still had time on the clock, and they said, let's go whale watching. I said, whale what? Oh, i got to get off this boat. And so they're watching whales, and I'm sicker than a, I could not. I have never, never been so sick. And I remember we finally got backed into to the, to the, to the harbor there, and we're getting off the boat, and I could hardly walk, and I was just thinking, Fishing can't be this difficult. Fishing can't be this difficult. Fishing can't be this difficult. In Luke 5 here, we, we see a story of Simon who's had a really bad fishing day. Bible says as the chapter opens that in verse 5 the Bible says that Simon had been fishing all night long and had caught nothing. Well, at least we got 15 caught. He had fished all night long and had caught nothing. And so as the chapter opens Simon has already been fishing and now the Day has dawned and he's come, brought his boat back in and Simon has, Simon is a fisherman. That's what he does for a living. That's his calling. Simon has now uh, stopped fishing. He's no longer fishing. Simon has left his boat. His boat is his identity. His boat is representative of his calling. And Simon has now walked away from his boat He's abandoned his boat. He's left what he's been called to do. 
Oh, but Simon hasn't just left his boat. Luke tells us that Simon is also washing his nets. I want to tell you something. It's one thing to get out of your boat and go, oh, that was a bad night. Hang your nets up here. Go get, go get something to drink and something to eat and come back and go back out. You leave your nets hanging there. But when a fisherman comes in and he starts washing his nets, what he's telling us is, I'm done. I'm through. I'm hanging my nets up. It's going to be a while before I come back out. It's over. And so what we see here, Simon is discouraged. He's dejected. And the boat is not a representative of his calling right now. The boat is a reminder of his discouragement, his defeat, his failure. That's Simon. Now, Luke tells us on the same shore, several yards away, there's... Jesus. Now, Jesus is dynamic. There's nothing static about him. When Jesus shows up, things happen. And the Bible says that, that crowds are pressing in around him. It, just imagine thousands of people clamoring after him, reaching in, trying to touch him, reaching, uh, shoving in front of him the blind, the lame, the crippled, the sick, and they're, and they're, and they're shoving them there, and they just want Jesus to touch them. Perhaps virtue will flow from Jesus and people will be set free of their infirmity. And so there's this, there's this noise, there's this chaos, there's this storm happening on the same shore as Peter over here cleaning his nets, getting ready to hang them up. Peter looks over, and we're not told that Peter goes and joins the crowd. Usually when there's a crowd, you want to go over and see what it's all about. Peter never stops cleaning his nets, even though Jesus, the Son of God, is on the same shore. And Simon's not even a follower of Jesus yet. And so Simon looks over, and he goes, what's all this? Oh, that's God's son. That's Jesus. And I'm just see, I could just see Simon. <laughs> Whatever. And there may be some folks here today that you can relate to Simon. You can relate to Simon. You've... You've been working and working and working and working. You've been trying to do everything that you know to do well. You, you listen to all of Pastor Dan's sermons. You, you do what he says, and, and you're trying, and you're trying, and yet, and, and right now, your, your marriage is still falling apart. Your finances are not accurate. You're, it, it's not straight. You're, maybe your health is, is not well. And there's different struggles. There's, there's discouragement, and, and, and you say, is this what life is all about? Is this what I was born for? There's got to be more, and your boat is empty, and right now you're just tempted to say, you know what, I think I'm just going to wash my nets and quit and go do something else. Maybe there's a few Simons here this morning where you say, you know what, I'm done. I'm through. I'm going to do something else. Maybe you feel... Like, Peter, like Peter, Simon must have felt. He's sitting over here. He's cleaning his nets. He sees the crowd. Maybe you're looking at that going, 
Why does everybody else get touched by Jesus and I'm not touched by Jesus? Why is, why is all the noise over there? Why is all the, all the thrill over there? I'm sitting here trying to do what I've been called to do. I've been, I've been fishing. I've been doing what I do. And, I'm, and I've not got anything. And all these people over here, they don't have a clue. They're laughing. They're, they're jumping up and down. They're all excited. And, and this guy, I knew this guy since he was a kid. He was blind. And now he can see. And this guy's deaf. He can hear. Why do they get all the blessing? Why does the blessings always pass over me to owe somebody else? Anybody feel that? You don't have to raise your hand. I've been there. Why do the blessings always pass me over and go to some other people that are less deserving when I've been trying to do the best I can? Well, that's in verse 1. But the Bible says... In verse 2, that in spite of all the crowd pressing in around Jesus, the thousands of people clamoring and being noisy and reaching in and, and clouding his view, in spite of all of that, Jesus was able to peer through the crowd and he noticed. Can you say he noticed? He noticed. And he looks down the shore and he sees an empty boat. Oh, it's not just an empty boat. He sees the representation of discouragement, of disillusionment, of defeat, of failure. He sees the man next to the boat washing his nets, ready to hang it up. Jesus sees it all. And the next thing is so cool because Jesus... In spite of all the crowd, starts making his way through the crowd. He's no longer touching all those people. He's making his way to one, one place, to that empty boat. I want to tell you something. I've had the privilege of being at the Western Wall in Jerusalem, where the Jews come by the millions to pray. I had the privilege of being at the Taj Mahal and outside of New Delhi in India where the Hindus come to pray. Pam and I have had the privilege of being at the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul where the Muslims by the millions come to pray. I've had the privilege of being at Angkor Wat in Siem Reap, Cambodia where the, where the Buddhists by the millions come to pray. And I want to tell you something. There's something as a common denominator above all the major religions of the world and all the religions of the world. You've got to go up, up, up to God and try to reach God. You've got to go up and you've got to try to satisfy. You've got to try to be your best. You've, and you've got to try to do everything you can so, in hopes that God will hear you. And you've got to do this and do that and go through all these hoops. But what distinguishes Christianity from all the other world religions, you don't have to go up to God because God comes down to you. He comes down. He comes to you. He finds you. That's the Jesus we serve. The Jesus we serve was in the crowd. And Peter was feeling like, Peter Simon was feeling like he was lost in the crowd. And no one would even know his name, but Jesus pointed him out. And he came to him.
That's what Jesus does. He finds us and he comes toward us. He notices us. He notices what we're going through. He notices our situation. He comes toward us. I want to tell you something. There's 7.3 billion people on this planet. And all of them got issues. God's got his hands full. Yeah, there's a crowd, all right. There's also galaxies beyond our most powerful, the reach of our most powerful telescopes. And God is keeping them all in balance with his hands. And all that's going on, and yet he still knows the number of hairs on your head. And he certainly knows the challenges, the disappointments, the discouragement that you might be going through. He knows. He knows. Somebody needs to hear that today. Psalm 8.4 says, What is mankind that you're mindful of him? What are human beings that you care for them? God is mindful. And he's tuned in and he's engaged. He comes down. And meets us where we are. Well, verse 3 says, Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So Jesus sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Are you... Getting what I'm getting here? Jesus got into Simon's boat. Jesus got into Simon's boat. Jesus left his realm and went and entered into the source of discouragement in Peter's in Simon's life Jesus left and went and entered into the the source of disillusionment in Simon's life Jesus got into Simon's boat I want to tell you something it's one of those twists of fate the very point of your failure is the very place where Jesus decides to minister. Oh my goodness, if you don't get anything else this morning, except for that choir's number, if you don't get anything else besides that this morning, you've got to get that. At the very point of our failure is the place where Jesus decides to minister. In verse 2, Peter is getting out of the boat. In verse 3, Jesus is getting in to the boat. In verse 2, Peter is hanging it up. It's all over. It's finished. In verse 3, Jesus is just getting started. There might be some folks here who feel a kindred spirit with Simon right now. Yeah, that's me. 
My boat's empty. I've been trying and trying and trying, and my boat's empty, and I'm ready to just to hang up my, my nets. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm going to do something else. I want to tell you something. It's one of the counterintuitive ways of God. God does not use our successes near as often as he uses our failures. I've often asked God that, why God, why do you do that? And I, and I get a sense that, you know what, it, during my successful times, I, I can't even hardly be penetrated. If God tried to yell at me, I probably wouldn't hear him. God uses, is able to use our failures so much more effectively than our successes. And when Jesus turns his attention and he notices your situation and he starts making his way to you, then he's looking for that very part of your life that you felt was useless. That part of your life journey that's been the most painful, the very part of your life that Jesus wants to place himself in and minister from. Whatever you may consider your loss today, I'm here to tell you that God wants to use that for his glory. God has a way of turning our messes into a message. God has a way of turning our messes into a message. Just consider some of the ancient heroes of the faith. Some of, some of the best life messages of Joseph came after he had spent years in prison. Some of the best life messages of, of Moses came after he had spent years in exile, running because he had murdered an Egyptian. Some of the best life messages of David. Some of the best psalms written. Even his posterity came after he had messed up with another man's wife. Some of my best life messages have not come out of my successes, but out of my lowest ebbs, my disappointments, my failures, my discouragements. And here we are. Jesus did not preach to the masses from a boat full of fish. Otherwise, where would he have put his feet? Jesus preached from a boat that had been emptied and abandoned. That's the Jesus we serve. He has a way of noticing us. He has a way of coming toward us. He has a way of turning our curses into blessings. If you're here today and you're feeling like you've got a lot of Simon, just hang on. Be patient because Jesus notices. Back in the 1800s, early 1800s, there was a little girl named Frances that was born in New York City born to a couple named John and Mercy Crosby. Francis's friends called her Fanny for short. How'd you like to grow up with a name called Fanny? Every time someone mentioned your name, they reminded everybody else in the room of people's backsides. 
So Fanny, she was just an infant. Her father, John, passed away unexpectedly. Fanny was raised by a single mother. Well, even when she was still an infant, just maybe six months old, Fanny got a cold and she got, you know, that goop in her eyes that happens sometimes when a child gets a cold. And her inexperienced mother didn't know how to do much with children and, and took mustard poultice something that was supposed to be an external application and begin to rub that in her infant's eyes and that mustard poultice blinded Fanny for the rest of her life when Fanny grew up her handwriting was so illegible that when she signed her name it was just an X she also suffered stints of depression and feelings of meaningless her entire life. Even as an adult, after a brief stint in social reform and politics, she failed there. Well, Fanny eventually married. And her and her husband actually were expecting a child and the child was born, a little girl. And they were thrilled, but in infancy, the child died. And it left a hole in Fanny's heart that she would never totally recover from. Her husband took it even worse. Her husband was so uh, demoralized and dejected and defeated and, and, um, and distraught that he left Fanny. Fanny spent the, left, the second half of her life single again. The last 30 years of her life, she lived in dire poverty, in a desperate, deplorable situation, in a tiny little flat in New York City slums, what was then known as Manhattan's Lower East Side. Well, Fanny had an interest in writing songs. But when she submitted her songs to her publishers, they all, to a person, rejected her songs because they, they considered her songs too pithy. See, Fanny was writing during the era of the, of, of, of the Victorian time, the Victorian era, and the hymns that were being written at that time by men were, were featuring the negative um, sinfulness of mankind. And yet Fanny wrote with this refreshing, sentimental, almost a romanticized view of Jesus. And that was so opposite to what they were used to. And, and so theologians would accuse Fanny Crosby of emasculating, quote, emasculating the American religion. As a matter of fact, even the editor of the Dictionary for Hymnology claimed that Fanny Crosby's songs were, quote, very weak and poor and crudely sentimental. Such was the empty boat 
of Fanny Crosby. Time and time and time again, she suffered setback and discouragement, disillusionment, hurt, disappointment. She was an utter failure. Or at least she felt like it. You see, Fanny's lifelong prayer is God, would you save a million souls from my songs? You know, that's quite a lofty prayer from a blind, dejected, single, overlooked woman in the Victorian era. What a lofty thought. Who do you think you are? A million people. There was a man named Iris Sankey who was the worship leader of the huge evangelistic crusades of the late 1800s Evangelistic Crusades conducted by D.L. Moody, Chicago. And Iris Sinke happened to hear one of Fanny's songs, and he liked it. And Iris Sinke began to sing the songs that Fanny Crosby wrote. And her prayer was fulfilled eventually as millions upon millions upon millions of people did come to find Jesus as her songs were being sung. The crusades of Dion. Fanny became probably one of the most prolific hymn writers that America has ever produced. She'd end up having over a hundred million copies of her hymns and print around the like blessed assurance Jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory
you're singing. Singing about faith and presence and words, her perspective. See, Fanny Crosby experienced something that Simon had experienced over 1,800 years before. And Fanny and Simon experienced something that Jesus wants every single one of us to experience. You see, Jesus knew something that Simon didn't know. Jesus knew that morning was coming. Jesus knew that the crowds would be on the beach. Jesus knew that he would need a place to minister. Jesus knew that he would need to speak from an empty boat. And Jesus had it all under control the whole time. Simon didn't have a clue. He hadn't caught up yet. He was still in his own misery. You see... Jesus also knew something that Fanny Crosby didn't know. Jesus knew that someday, someday, he would need to tap somebody that had such a deep, deep, deep relationship with him and write such deep uh, uh, sentimental songs about him. Jesus knew that if Fanny Crosby had had her eyesight, that Fanny Crosby would have pursued all the things that you and I pursue with our eyesights and are so busy to write those kind of songs. Jesus knew that he had to carve out an empty place in Fanny Crosby's heart so that he could someday occupy himself. Jesus knew what Fanny Crosby didn't know. 
She had to be stripped of her ability to go off to school and learn like all the other children. She had to be confined to her house for fear that she might damage herself and confined to reading, to, to hearing the Bible read to her hours upon hours a day, confined to her mother's piano where she would plunk out songs when she was just a child. While everybody else was out playing and busy pursuing lofty goals of life, Fanny stayed in her house writing songs. Near the end of her life, she finally realized what Simon had realized. Oh, God did need this. And she wrote in her autobiography this. It, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for this dispensation. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things that surrounded me. So if perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. Simon finally realized Jesus wanted to, to occupy the empty spaces in his life. Fanny Crosby finally realized Jesus wants to occupy the empty spaces in my life. Can I just suggest to you today, those that feel there's a hole, there's an empty space, Jesus has carved that out so that he can fill it himself and be a blessing to others. In verses, verses 4 to 7 of this chapter, we'll close with this, Luke chapter 5. Jesus instructed Simon, Simon, I want you to go back out into your boat. Go back out to where you were, and I want you to fish again. And the account tells us in Luke 5 that Jesus, that Simon did go out, cast his nets over like he had done before, and the nets were so full that the nets were breaking. He had to summon over his friends from other boats to come in. They had to haul in the, the, the fish together. You see, I want to tell you something. When God carves out a place for himself to occupy, although it may be painful at the moment, God is always, always redemptive. He knows. God is always redemptive. Similarly, Fanny Crosby experienced that same kind of redemption. Did you know that she was the first female to ever get to speak at a joint session of Congress? She also became friends with several U.S. presidents. Why? Because of her unique physical disability and her rare talent for hymns, God was able to propel her way beyond her wildest dreams. God is always, always, always redemptive. And if you're here today and you're feeling, you know what, I'm a Simon. My boat's empty. I'm ready to give up. I'm just hanging up my nets. I'm broken. I'm discouraged. I've put my resume out here, here, and 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 that no one's called. 
I've tried. I've tried financial counseling. My, my, my counselors are, still aren't there. My marriage is still horrible. I'm broken. I'm discouraged. I'm dejected. God, where are you? You've lost my address. Jesus notices and he's turned and he's come in your direction and he's always redemptive he's always redemptive would you stand with me today I'd invite the worship team to come on back up I'd like to invite the prayer team to come on forward if you would we just want to serve some people today please do not leave this house with any discouragement that you might have walked in with. Leave it here at the altar where it belongs. In a few minutes, Pastor Brent's going to lead us in some more worship. And, and I want to invite everybody in the house who's saying, you know what, i got that empty spot. I've got a piece of brokenness in me. I'm assignment. I'm just assignment. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for Jesus just to notice me. Just, Jesus, would you just turn to me? You're still in the crowd, Jesus. Would you just please? I just need your attention, Jesus. Come. If you're here and you're saying, you know what? That's, that's me. I, I, I need Jesus to come and fill this vacuum in my heart. I need Jesus to come and fill this, this brokenness, this, this hole that's in my heart, that's ache. I need Jesus to come. I need, I need the touch of Jesus. I need him to notice. I need him to turn. And I need him to change my situation. Now, I want to just to be honest with you. He may not change it today. But I will tell you this. He's going to make a message out of your messes. Did you hear me? He's going to make a message, message out of your messes. Pastor Brent, would you lead us, brother? If you want the touch of Jesus, would you just come on down? Let these people serve you. Come on down and let the people let them, just let Jesus touch you through the hands of these precious servants. We want to serve you. Thank you, sister. Anybody else? Come on. Pastor Dan. 